by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we've been in a new series. It's entitled, The Battle is the Lord. Okay, some people have been listening. The Battle is the Lord's. We had a, the first message was entitled, Victory Out of Impossibility. And we found out in 2020 that we've got a lot of impossibility that we face. Doors shut here, doors shut there. And it's like, how do we get out of here? How did we get here? But God, he parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. He parted the Jordan for the Israelites so that they could enter in to the promised land. And then last week we talked about how important our shout is. We shouted last week for our victory because the shout is an expression of the faith in your heart. Some people say, oh, no, pastor, you don't need to get over there in the shouting and all that emotionalism. It, yeah. There's excess in everything, but you know what? God gave us emotions. God has emotions. He's God and he gets angry. He's God and he gets jealous. He's God and he is love. And he expresses his love in so many different ways. Emotions are a powerful thing in the life of a believer. We're not led by our emotions. We're led by the Word of God. But we're excited about the Word of God on the way. Isn't that true? Are you excited about the Word of God, how it's leading your life? We discussed how our shouts expose a heart of faith and how our complaints turn into our ain'ts. You ain't going to make it. We ain't going to never get a building. We ain't never going to do this. We, we ain't never going to amount to nothing. That's what complaints do for you. And they lead you in the direction you don't want to go. So we're putting away the complaints and we're getting our shout. Our proximity to Jesus determines our victory. The closer we can stay with him, the closer we walk with our victory. That's what this is all about. That's what church is all about. That's why you were created and designed to worship your creator and to walk with him. And the closer you do, the more success that you will realize in your life. And I'm just on the recap. Boy, that's pretty good, ain't it? We're going to get out of here about 3 o'clock today. All right, no, today, go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20 in your Bibles. We're going to, you know, sometimes I tell the story for time's sake usually. But sometimes the Word of God is just so rich. I mean, every line of it just 
life-changing revelation. We're going to read through 2 Chronicles 20 today. I'm not going to tell the story. We're going, to, we're going to see what the Bible actually says. And we're talking about somebody we talked about and mentioned last week, King Jehoshaphat. You remember how I, how I said he put the, the praisers out front in battle? That was a crazy thing to do. We're going to see why he did that. Because he was one of those who, who saw victory out of the impossibility that he faced. He faced an impossible situation, but God gave him, nevertheless, the victory. So in verse 1, it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now, King Jehoshaphat, he was the ruler over Judah. At this point in history, Judah and Israel had separated. They were once one kingdom under King David, but after David, uh, no, it was after his son Solomon, I think, that they split into two different kingdoms and had their own kings. Judah usually had some pretty good kings, and that was where the bloodline of Jesus came from. Israel, not so much. They, they rarely had a good king. But uh, Jehoshaphat turned out to be one of those good kings that followed after the Lord. They were few and far between. And it says that he's king, and now three nations have come up against him. In verse 2 it says, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are from Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And let's look at verse 3. It says, and Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. It says Jehoshaphat feared. Now, is that a good thing? We know that fear is actually the opposite of faith. That's not a good thing. But you know what? It's a natural thing. You've just been told a great multitude, way bigger than your army, is coming after you. What, what is your natural reaction? It says Jehoshaphat feared. That's the first thing that came to him. When you face an impossibility, we must initially face fear. So none of us that sit up in here and act like, oh, I ain't, I ain't afraid of anything, you know, Nothing bothers me. They give you the pink slip. I ain't worried about it. I'll get a job on my way home. You know, you just so, you Clint Eastwood. <laughs> no, I think we all face fear. We face it, but what we do with it after we face it is the important thing. If you give in to fear when you face it, then you just might as well give in to defeat. Because that's, that's where fear leads, to defeat. So I love when it says he faced the fear, Jehoshaphat feared, but right off the bat, he set himself to seek the Lord. Where do you go to face your fear? Where have you been going to face your fear? Some people go to the bottle. Some people got to some pills in the pocket. There's all kind of places people go to face their fear. 
but Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord to face his fear. An impossible situation. I've often told the story, and you know, it's getting to where all my stories are old now. <laughs> but this man wanted to have an outing with his young son. He says, come on, son, let's, let's climb the mountain together. We should get to the top by this afternoon and be able to look out over the horizon and spend some quality time together. And so they began to climb this mountain together, sort of like God wants to do with you. So that's sort of what your life is, climbing the mountain with your father. That's the way it should be. And so this young boy is climbing with his dad, and they're on the trail. And about halfway up, they get to this big boulder that has fallen down the mountain and, and covers the path. It's in the way. And the son says, Dad, I guess we're going to have to go around. And Dad says, no, I'll tell you what, son. I want you to move that boulder out of the way. Because there'll be people that maybe can't go around that's coming up the path after us. We, we need to keep the path clear. Son, I need you to move the boulder. Dad and the son, he was all ready to impress Dad. You know, I got this, Dad. And so he goes over there. He's going to show his dad how strong he is. And he gets underneath that boulder. And, he's like, and he can maybe move it a little bit. But it goes back down. It's way heavier than he thought. And the dad's just watching. The son says, I got an idea, Dad. So he goes down the mountain a bit, and he comes back with a stick, a branch. And he puts it up underneath there, and he's jumping on it, trying to move it, can't get it, sits on it, puts all his weight on it, but the boulder is bigger than he can move. By this time, he's huffing, and he's puffing. He says, Dad, I know what I'll do. And he got that stick, and he started trying to dig out from underneath the rock. But every time he would dig a little hole, the boulder would just settle down in it deeper. And before it's over, he's sitting there, he's got mud all on his shins, and he's sweating and wiping mud and dust and tears coming out. Dad, I just can't do it. And the dad says, son, have you used everything at your disposal? And the, the son says, yeah, dad, you saw, I used the sticks and, I, and everything that I know to do. He said, son, have you used everything at your disposal? He says, I, yeah, dad, I have. He says, you have not, son. You have not asked me to help you. And the dad goes over there and picks up the boulder and rolls it down the hill. And we got sound effects of the boulder going down the hill. Good job, Rick. But that's the way we usually do it. We face an obstacle in our path, and we begin to immediately call our friends. Uh, can you lend me some money? Uh, I'm going to go to the bank. Uh, I'm going to take these pills. out. The last thing we think to do is to pray and to ask our father to help us carry the load or to move the obstacle. And it should not be the last thing that you set your heart to do. It should be always on the first option. And if it's your first option, it'll typically be your only need and your option. Is it hot in here? That's what God wants from us. I... I can't speak for God, but I would guess from what I know about his character that possibly his greatest desire 
is that we would put him first, that his children would put him first. They would think about him first in everything. I think that's what he wants. I mean, if you look in the Bible, what is the first commandment? Jesus said it's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he wants most is you to put him first. And this is probably the most important point that we'll make today. We're talking about putting praisers first. We're putting, talking about putting God first. In every area of our life, we need to think about him, think about his will, think about his plan in every, every time we come into a situation. We, Bill just talked about the tithe. What is that? It is the first fruits of all your increase. That's what he demands of us. Last week we talked about the walls of Jericho coming down. Why was it significant that God says all the, the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron of Jericho must first come into my temple? Because it was the first town that they went to battle against to, to possess the promised land. It was the, a, shadow, a type shadow of the tithe. After that, when they defeated a town, they got to keep all the spoils of war. But that first town, God said, it is mine. Because God demands first place. Where your heart is, there your treasure is also. God doesn't want your leftovers, what you got at the end of the month. He wants the first 10% of your tithe right off the bat. To trust him with that 90% that's blessed. Instead of that 100% that you're out there on your own. And the windows of heaven are not open for you. And the, the devourer is not rebuked for you. He wants you to trust him. Put him first. Matthew 6.33 says seek him first and everything that you need will be added to you you see he's trying to make an exchange he's trying to get you to understand if you'll put me first everything else will work out i'll take care of all your needs but you got your little stick and you you're working on the boulder and you're getting yourself all muddy and wore out and you're thinking of me last I'll be your high tower. I'll be your refuge. I will be your strength. He wants to be first in your life. Say he wants to be first. Then the third thing that we see in verse 3 is that Jehoshaphat declared a fast for the whole nation of Judah. He felt fear. He sought the Lord. And he says, I'm going to be serious about seeking the Lord. I'm going to show the Lord that I, that I am serious about that. And he's, he put together a fast for the whole nation. God knows whether you're serious or not. If you're not serious about your request to God, why should he be? Some of you won't give up a cheeseburger for the Lord. Fasting's like something, oh, no. <laughs> no, I mean, I... I'll just fast social media for lunch or something. No, no. When, you're, when you get to the point where you'll fast over something, God's, you know God knows how many tears you've cried? You know there was a, there's a scripture 
uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, he was a king, and God came and had Isaiah tell him, I think it was Isaiah, the prophet, tell Hezekiah that get your affairs in order because you're about to die. Well, Hezekiah didn't want to die. He, was, he wasn't that old. He wanted to live some more. He was sick, so he, turned, he was in his bed, and he turned his face toward the wall, and he began to cry out to God. He humbled himself, and he cried out with, with tears. Do you know God sees your tears? Have you ever just thrown up just little lazy prayers? I do it all the time. God, help me with this. God, do this for me. God, um, that's a lot different than you saying, God, this is so serious. You you getting alone and you, man, you get in his presence. You make sure he hears you. You cry out with tears. He says he, he, he knows every tear you cried. He keeps them in a bottle. God knows your tears. He knows when you're sincere. And Hezekiah cried out to the Lord with tears. And God sent Isaiah right back. Isaiah ain't even got home good. He, he said, go back. In Isaiah 38, 5, it says, Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I've heard your prayers and I've seen your tears. What if he had just heard his prayers? Would he have sent Isaiah back? I don't know. But right here it says, I heard your prayers, but I've seen your tears. I've seen you were serious about what you were praying. Once again, that goes back to emotions being displayed the emotions that God gave us displayed in a way that shows God that we care he said I will add 15 years to your life verse 4 says so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. All the cities of Judah came together. That's another thing the Lord loves. Like I said, he loves that vertical relationship, but he loves those horizontal relationships. And when his people come together in unity, there is nothing that can stop them. That's why it's so important that you be hooked up with a local body of believers. That you have firm relationships so that when you're going through something that, that comes with tears, you have somebody to cry out with you. And all of Judah came together to seek the Lord. There's power and unity and agreement. Somebody once says believers are never told to become one. We're already are one. And we're expected to act like it. We're already one with one another. Romans 15, 5 says, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with one another as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. That's fitting that we live in harmony. Then all of you can join together with one voice. Say one voice. Giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we come together and we put our voice together, there's nothing that can stop us. There's nothing the devil can do. He's like, I'm out of here. Because one can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. He ain't got that many demons. 
He only took a third of the, the fallen angels with him down here to the earth. And half of them are locked up in the pit to be released later. So he ain't got that many demons down here to fight against the believers who can put a thousand or two, ten thousand to flight with just two in agreement. Matthew 18, 19 says, If any two on earth agree as touching anything that they shall ask, the Father will do it. Get together with one of your brothers and sisters instead of begging, crying, and saying, I ain't, I ain't this, I ain't that, I, we can't this. Say, believe with me in prayer. Let's hook up together in agreement. We'll send 10,000 of them demons running. God will see our tears and he'll hear us as one voice. And what would happen if a whole church come together and believe the same thing? And stop leaving out of here going to lunch saying, oh, that church is all right, but I want to try this one, this one. That message wasn't this. And it, Stop looking at the, at the surface and get hooked up to what God is doing through a people. If this church ain't all that, it's because we're not hooking up with the vision. The vision is plain. We've written it down and we're ready to run. Together, God gives us a voice that will change the world. In 2 Chronicles, you've heard this a whole lot lately after the, we see the state of America. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, Then if my people who were called by my name, I used to say, oh, well, we're never going to get America back together because they're not going to repent. They're not going to do what's right. They're not going to cry out to God. But it doesn't say that the, the unbelievers in America are going to do it. It says, if my people that are called by my name, surely the Christians can hook up and do it. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. But that's a people coming together. God deals with nations as nations. And he deals with you as an individual. What does it say? And how many times have I heard it and how, how it grieves me that it says, if the Christians would have only voted. If the Christians would have only voted and did their civic duty. We could have changed this. Roe versus Wade could, could have been overturned. It would have never been here in the first place if the Christians would have voted and cared enough about their nation to let their voice be heard. If we would come together as one voice, there's nothing could stop the righteousness of America. But it's when we say, oh, that's... I don't care about those things. You don't care about little babies being ripped from the womb? Come on. Voting is a serious thing. It's a right. It's a privilege. It's a way for us to come together as one voice and to keep America on the right path. So please vote. Verse 5 says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. That's a good king. He goes to the house of the Lord when things get serious. He calls a fast. He gathers people together. And he stood in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he says, "Our O Lord, our God of the fathers. He prays. 
Boy, it's good when the righteous rule, isn't it? To have a praying leader in your nation. Oh, Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? He's reminding God of who he is. <laughs> like God needs to be reminded. No, maybe he's reminded himself of who God is. Some of your prayers start, need to start off with you reminding yourself of how powerful your God is. You're building your faith as you begin, before you begin to ask for what you want. It goes on, verses uh, 6 through 11, and God, uh, Jehoshaphat continues to put God in remembrance of his word. You think God is upset about that? No, he tells us to put him in remembrance of his word. He wants us to stir ourselves up. Verse 12 says, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of your faith. Just turn your eyes to Jesus. Tune your ears to his voice. When we seek his face, he rewards us with his word on our situation. He said, we don't know what to do, but we're going to keep our eyes on you. We have no power against this enemy. It's too big for us. It's an impossibility. So we're just going to look to you, God, with faith, coming together, one voice, with fasting, crying out, and believing for, for a miracle. And we see that he rewards us, rewards them with his word. I like to tell about when I became pastor, how our previous pastor had died tragically, and it was a... Just a depressing time, really. I remember when I first became pastor, I would, before I'd go to bed, I'd set my phone there, and I was fully expecting that somewhere 2 or 3 o'clock in the night, somebody was going to call me from a hospital somewhere, and I was going to have to jump up. I thought that's what pastoring was, <laughs> because through this, the period that led to their, to Pastor Paul passing away and, and other people in our church that same year, it was like, jump up and run to the hospital at a moment's notice. I thought pastoring was going to be much more difficult. It's like I go to bed now and I go to sleep. I ain't worried about it. No, It's not like an every night occurrence. But back then it was just like we were going through difficult period. And the church was hurting and we were down to just a certain amount of people. People were just tired. I just can't take the, the pain and suffering that we've been through. They were weary. And I said, Lord, and I saw his face, and I said, you got to give us a word, God. And God said, go tell them you're going to be a fun church. Y'all think I'm just making that up? You think that's just some kind of advertising scheme or something? It's not. It's the word that the Lord gave us. I said, I, I said that myself, God. I'm supposed to go tell these people that we're going to be a fun church. They out there blowing snot bubbles every church, <laughs> wiping it in their eyes, stuff. 
And I'm supposed to go tell them we're going to be a fun church. But when I said, the Lord shared with me that we're going to be a fun church. It was almost like I saw a wet blanket lifted off the congregation. And I saw freedom begin to happen. The Lord knew what word we needed. And he knew what we were going to need for the journey ahead. And we are a fun church. And we're officially getting more funner. I am determined that we are going to be the funnest church that you have ever seen. We are a fun church. Verse 13, it says, Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, all of them, the children count too, you know, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. In other words, God used somebody in the congregation. It's not always the king. It's not always the priest. God, how is it that everybody has a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual psalm? How is it that we're all supposed to be workers of the ministry? And so God just spoke to this one guy and used him. And he said, listen, all of you Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, he prophesies, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but mine. You ain't got to worry, son. Move on out the way. I got this. Nothing for the Lord. Nothing is too tough for God. If God be before you, is God be for you, who can ever be against you? And the battle is the Lord. Say the battle is the Lord's. Tomorrow we go down against them, and they will surely come up by the accent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. So God's saying, I'm, the battle is mine, but you go down. We always have a part to play. God is not going to do your part for you. He expects you to do your part as a human. He does, you do the natural, God does the supernatural. Don't be so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. If you got a headache, go ahead and take you some aspirin and pray for God to do the supernatural. Do the natural. Go to the doctor. Use all the natural things that you can, but you still have to believe God for the things you can't. So don't get too spooky on this, all right? We always have a part to play, and sometimes it's just having the courage to show up for the battle. Okay, so say we were sitting here. There's 600 people out there. They all got guns and knives, and they're coming here to kill us. We're in here, we're celebrating God, and we're crying out with tears. And God says, the battle is mine. Now you go out there. We're like, I thought the battle was yours, Lord. <laughs> you got it, God. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Your part is to get past your fear, typically, and have the courage to go and do your part. To believe that the battle is the Lord's. It was right over at that door. I tell this story all the time. Brother Tom asked me to go to the jail to minister. about Probably about 15, 16 years ago. I don't know how long ago. A long time ago. Before I was pastor. I was probably working in the children's department at the time. He said, Brother Guy, I want you to go to the jail with me tonight and minister. 
was like, in my mind, it's like all these hardened prisoner, prisoners, these big old tattooed bikers, they don't want to hear the gospel. They're going to squash me. You know, there's going to be a riot and there's going to be a jailbreak in there or something, and I'm going to be caught in the middle of it. And the devil's throwing all these scenarios at me. But because I love the Lord and I trusted him, and I, I wasn't saying no to anything that God asked me, I said, I'll go. And I found out that all the, my fears was just a smoke screen. Don't be afraid. God tells us like 365 times in the Bible, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you, whithersoever thou goest. I love that King James, don't you? Your God is going to be with you. Just don't be afraid. So I went and I began to, to watch him minister in the jail. And, and then God began to give me a word every now and then. I would speak, and, but I would always have my stuff planned out. You know, I'd write out a little sermon for the jail. But as I got more busy in the ministry, I had a full-time job. And I, I began to take the youth on and, and uh, had all soul food going. I was, I, you know, I'm just always, and uh, it got to where I was preaching for, to the youth and all these things and preaching where soul food was. And, and I was going to the jail every Sunday and trying to put a little message together. And finally, the Lord was dealing with me, just trust me. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need at that very self-same hour that nobody will be able to gainsay against. And so I remember the first time walking into the jailhouse with just my guitar and no message, and I felt naked. No, no book to hide behind, except the Bible. No message. And I have found, and I tell Angie all the time, there's one thing I'm good at. There's one thing that I really feel that God has gifted me to do. It's to speak to men at the jail. And when I ain't got no message. I mean, even today, when I go all these years later, sometimes I'm thinking, I need to put a little something together for again. And then the Lord deals with me, I got you. I got you. I go in there. Nicholas has been with me a, a thousand times already. Tell him, it ain't about having enough to say. It's about knowing when to shut up. It's, it's coming to a land. I'm good at taking off. It's bad. It's hard to come to a landing because God has given you so much. You can't get it all out. And he's never once let me down. It's having the courage that God is with you and the battle is the Lord's. That's why I'm so good at preaching to the men because I'm not stuck behind notes. I just let the Lord do it. You say, well, why don't you do that on Sundays? We'd like to hear some good preaching. I'm working on it. No, the Lord hadn't told me to do that. It's different. It's different giving the gospel message to men, to men that need to be saved than it is preaching to a congregation who need to be rounded, who are growing in their faith. It's different. So I must take you through different parts of the Bible, and I must hear from God beforehand. That's the way I see it. But if I came up here without nothing to say, as you can clearly see, I don't have a problem saying stuff. You know, it just comes. But you got to show up for God to show out. If you won't show up, 
Why should he show out? Verse 17. Well, I better get, get stepping. You will not need to fight this battle, but position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. That's all you need to know. Is God for you? I know I struggle with condemnation coming from a religious background. And sometimes I think God's doing this to me or whatever. I forget there's an enemy that's doing this, and God is on my side. God is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They believed his word, and they worshiped him. And Jehoshaphat and the, and the Judahites, whatever they call all of Judah, worshiped before the battle. You know, we talked about them singing on the other side of the Red Sea. It's easy to sing for joy and praise the Lord after you get your victory. But God loves it much more when you believe him before the battle even takes place and you worship him. Boy, some of you need to shout for your victory now and not wait. Not wait till you see it. Are you, you shouting on this side of your kid's drug addiction? Are you shouting on this side of your financial breakthrough? Are you shouting on this side of your healing? Are you shouting on this side of being lonely when you're looking for a spouse? Maybe that's what God's looking for, an expression of your faith that you believe that God is for you and that he is, the battle is his. Instead of the complaining and the ain'ts. You don't enter the promised land till you get out of the wilderness of complaining. You got to get a shout in your heart. I don't know if we get, we probably need to stop right there. I might need to make this a two-parter. First John 5, 4 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve our victory through our faith. Verse 21 of our scripture says, And when he had consulted the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army, they were saying, Praise the Lord, for the, his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. See, Jehoshaphat dared to put the praisers out front. It was, he understood this principle that your praise must go before you in battle. And he put the drummers and the guitar players and the bass players and the singers with no weapons in the natural out front of his warriors. And the, and the, the enemy was like, uh-oh, what the world? They must really trust their God. And it threw them into confusion because you see, it says, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, and they helped to destroy one another. They began to fight against each other. They were so confused. Your praises in the midst of your situation before the, your victory confuses the enemy to the point he fights against himself. And you leave the devil doing like this, what just happened? 
So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, and they stripped them off for themselves more than they could carry. And they were, they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Not only, not only did God defeat their enemies and spare their lives, he blessed them in the process. How many knows that God will give you more than you even prayed for? You put those praisers out front and see what God will do for you. You begin to praise God right now for your healing, even though you're still hurting, and watch what God will do. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Becherah, for they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place was called the valley of Becherah until this day. Then they returned every man of Ju Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in the front of them. He's a good leader. To go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. You know, I just noticed this, but the, he uses the word rejoice over their enemy. Why? Because they had already rejoiced before they got there. Now they're rejoicing. <laughs> Woo, I like that. God's making points as we go. Okay. Thank you, Lord. They rejoiced over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumps, trumpets to the house of the Lord. They went straight to the house of the Lord to give him praise. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. Boy, wouldn't it be good to have some rest in your life? Have some victory. Have some spoils. Be a, well, just keep rejoicing. Keep rejoicing and then rejoicing. That's our life. Joyce and then rejoice. <laughs> Turn to God first. Turn to God first in your situation. He knows if you're putting him last, if, if you've done everything you could do in the natural, God will be doing like this. Son, <clears throat> won't you just call on me? Put him first and turn your fear into faith. Come together with your brothers and sisters in the church. Let's come together so that we can not only change our situation, but we can change our nation. And come together with one voice. Say one voice. Let's seek his face and get his word. And when you act on his word, you'll behold his power. When you act on his word, you'll behold his power. When you act on his word, you will see the victory. You put your praise out front, and you'll be three days carrying home all the spoils. <laughs> and you'll watch the fear of God silence your enemies. The devil won't, won't know more of you. There'll come a time where if you'll do these things, the devil will say, let's just stay away. The devil will start quaking in the morning when you get up. He's up again. Let's go on this way. Let's go this direction. Because he's going to start praising God. all I got to say about that the victory is yours but the battle is the Lord's God wants to give you the victory 
You know, let's just talk about Jesus for a minute. I said that's why I'm here today. And I know we're talking about some Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus, he is the commander of the Lord's armies. He was back in the Old Testament, and he is today. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And he has, he has done everything that he knows to do to show you that he is on your side. And though we struggle in our mind, believing that God cares about our little bitty everyday situations, I promise you he does. There is nothing too small. He sees when a sparrow hits the ground, and how much more valuable are you to him than a sparrow? He says, cast your cares on me. He don't say just the big stuff. He says, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We struggle in our minds. We get burned out. There's depression. We, let, we turn to other things, drugs and alcohol. We even turn to relationships for the, a certain person to make me whole. And I'm not saying that this life is easy following the Lord. It ain't easy following the Lord, but it's easier following the Lord than to be out there on your own. And it's going to get much easier once you die and you're following the Lord. He just offers you himself. He's not saying, uh, you can be my servant. He's saying, you can be my son. He's saying, you can be my daughter. You can come into my throne room anytime. Curl up in my arms, just stare into my face. I'll sing songs over you, my child. I love you. I want you to be with me where I am. John 14 says he's going to prepare a place for you right now. He sent his spirit to live in the believer's hearts, to be in you. He said in John 17 that they may be one as me and the Father are one. He wants the relationship to be so close that it's not walking with, but it's walking in. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you so much. That he's gone now to prepare a place for you. He says that where I am, you may be also. Do you, do you get a hint of the excitement in his voice saying that I want you with me? Thomas says, we don't know the way, Jesus, how to get there. He says, what do you mean you don't know the way? I am the way. Thomas says, well, show us the Father. He says, have you been with me so long, Thomas? You don't see that when you see the me, you see the Father? He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. No man will enter into the rewards of heaven and into the arms of Jesus, into the mansion, and the, the glorious place that he has created for us to do life together for all eternity. Unless you simply come to that place of faith, Repentance towards God. Repentance, that means a turning from your sin. A turning for what sin has done in your life. The destruction that the devil has brought into your life. Just turn from that. You can't hold on and bring that into the kingdom with you, you see. You just got to turn from that, a repentance. 
towards God, and then faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on your cross to take away your sins, that he was resurrected, that you may be resurrected too. So bow your head for just a moment. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, oh, he's calling your name right now. Can you hear it in your inner voice? Do you have your ears open? He's reaching out to you right now. and saying, oh, my child, cast your cares on me. Turn to me. If you'll give Jesus your heart right now, he'll give you the kingdom. He'll give you the victory. He'll give you everlasting life. Pray with me like this. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you want to make that decision right now, say, Jesus, I repent of my sins, and I turn to you. I believe that you are not only the Son of God, but you are God. You are the creator, the sustainer, and that you died on my cross. And that the Father resurrected you to bring life to me. You paid my penalty, Jesus. And I receive forgiveness as I receive you as my Lord. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart that I may live an overcoming life. Help me have ears to hear and a heart to receive the fullness of all you have for my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.